I am so happy to be back. Thank you guys so much for bearing with me over the last two weeks, three weeks maybe even. I don't know, I took some time off. I had some technical difficulties. I had some traveling to do. I had some things that had to be taken care of. Sometimes it happens. I did that, I think, back in 2019, too, when I went to Vegas to do three different conferences. I took off a couple weeks from the podcast. The important thing is you're still here. I'm still here. Despite the Omicron variant, I'm still alive and breathing. Can you believe it? Watch me die, like, two days after this podcast is released. If I do, just note that I do not find it ironic. It sucks, and I'm pissed. Hello, welcome to the QTR Podcast. This is QTR. This podcast, like all my podcasts, is brought to you by my patrons. Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. You guys stock the brandy cabinet. You pay for the microphone cords and other associated things. Just donate. Don't ask where the money is going, okay? It goes to general corporate purposes. I'll be filing an 8K about it later. I am so happy to have you. This podcast is brought to you by my exclusive gold and silver provider, JM Bullion. I love JM Bullion. It is the only place I buy my gold and silver bullion. I've been buying it from these guys for years now. These guys have been supporting my podcast for years. So if you are stoked that I am back, make sure you pay some love to JM Bullion. Give them a shout. At JM Bullion on Twitter, they've done over $3 billion in sales. They have been in business for nearly a decade now, and QTR podcast listeners can always email Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at jmbullion.com, and she would be more than happy to give you personalized service to buy whatever gold and silver bullion you would like, because at some point, in my opinion, cryptos will crash, risk assets will crash, and gold, as I wrote on my blog this morning, Fringe Finance, gold may actually be in favor, even not as an inflationary hedge, just just as a hedge against shit going wrong. So anyways, if you're going to buy Bullion anyways, why not check out my friends at JM Bullion? They love to hear from you as a QTR podcast listener, uh, and I love when you go to them because it convinces them to continue to pay me money, which is really the only reason anybody does anything. All right, thank you. The end. <laughs> this podcast also brought to you by my friends over at Doomberg, one of my favorite substacks. They've been kicking ass, actually. Doomberg just passed like... 10,000 subscribers or 10,000 Twitter followers. I can't even keep up with it. Between George Gammon and Doomberg, people that I am sponsoring are flying past me on the podcasting and content highway so quickly. I have done a great job of being a stepping stone for people that want to actually be successful in doing what I do. So I'm happy to provide that to both my friends, Doomberg and George Gammon. I love both of those guys. Doomberg is a wonderful... Substack takes a skeptical view of markets. It is 100% free, unlike mine, because I'm a cheap fuck. I make you pay for mine. Doomberg is free, and the analysis is better, because they're smarter. So maybe if you subscribe to my podcast and my blog, just you know cut me off financially and go over and check out Doomberg. That would be a great idea. That's what I would do. I wouldn't listen to my bullshit. Uh, I subscribe to Doomberg. I love them to death. Good people. Huge supporters of the podcast. Check them out in the podcast description. Their Substack is in there. And George Gammon, my buddy over at Rebel Capitalist Pro, who has teamed up with Lynn Alden, Chris McIntosh, Brent Johnson, and probably fucking a bunch of other people that are way smarter than I am to bring you incredible content. They have a wonderful forum. They do a live question and answer like three or four days a week now. I was just on George's Rebel Capitalist YouTube channel, which is great. So if you subscribe to George Gammon's channel, also subscribe to Rebel Capitalist. Free content on YouTube. Always well thought out, calculated, smart, in-depth, complex. The total opposite of my podcast. Plus, George has a full head of hair. Also the total opposite of my podcast. Great guy. He's rich. He's successful. He lives in Miami or Columbia or whatever. He parties in Hawaii, folks. And look at me, I'm sitting around here at this desk in my pajamas with a big fucking coffee stain on my shirt. God, I look, if you guys could see me right now, you would turn off the podcast. I look like shit. Maybe that's what I should change the name of this podcast to. I Look Terrible by Chris Irons. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus. The Steam Room, which is my favorite piece of software to track options flow. The only piece of software that I use to track options flow. The Steam Room is fantastic to help you identify big moves in the options market, which can then precede, not proceed, precede moves in the equities market, which sometimes can make you money if you don't trade like an asshole. 
And Sang Lucci will tell you the same thing. You sign up for some customer support shit from him and be like, hey, I'm losing money. He's going to be like, well, you're probably trading like an asshole. That's why I like Sang Lucci. He's an honest guy. So, all these guys, by the way, great people to do business with. If you tell them QTR sent you, tell them you want a free trial for 19 days. I just made that up, but they should all give it to you. With the exception of JM Bullion, because you're going to have to pay for shit because they're selling actual commodities. But everybody else, tell them QTR said you can have a 19-day free trial without a credit card. And if anybody gives you shit, tell them I sent you. And uh, just make sure you tell them I sent you. That's it. You go to 7-Eleven today to get a coffee, tell them I sent you. Everywhere you go and buy something, tell them I sent you. Because I need sponsors. Desperately. Because I don't care about my content. I only care about money. I think we all know that. All right. Moving on. This podcast also brought to you by my friends at Corvus Gold. My friends at Investors Underground. I love you guys. Hi, Nate. Traders for a Cause, my favorite charity. Ken R., Chris B., Nicholas Parks, Matthew Zimmer, longtime supporters. Appreciate you guys. Jay Mincemeyer, Russ Valenti, Crichton Titus, and Camila Soul. Thank you. And some of my longest-running supporters, M3, Max Mulvihill. Super stoked to cho- uh, chat with you the other day online. My kind brother, Mark Haywood, huge supporter of the podcast and of my blog. I appreciate you, Mark. I see you all over the place, man. Kyle Thomas, Chris B, Darius Kordonsky, Chris Gerard, and Sheer Luck, and some of the founding members of my Fringe Finance blog. If you can't get enough of my content, I am on my blog every single day, uh, basically writing something. Uh, and uh, the founding members are people that have contributed to help get it off the ground. John Horst, thank you, my friend Mark Hutchinson, and Joseph Kesri. Uh, A Farmer, thank you, my friends at Harvest Moon Research, Brosmium. T. Gagliotti, Randy Carter, Kashumba, E.B., Jamie, Lucas, my buddy Phil. What's up, dude? And Scott Felsenthal. Thank you guys so much. I see you, and it means a lot to me, and I mean that shit sincerely. Hello. I got Jack Perugian with me here today. Fucking stoked about this one. I'm in a mood right now, too. I am. Uh, I hope you're ready for some fire because I'm happy to be back, and I just chugged two Wawa coffees. I don't know what's going to... Maybe I should take the brandy down. Hold on. All right. Okay. Okay. I got to get Jack on the fucking phone. Hold on. You don't actually have to hold on. It's going to be like a one-second pause for you. And I'm still going to say hold on. Hold on. All right. Here he is. Mr. Jack Perugin. He is an open outcry trading legend, according to me, apparently, because that's what I wrote in your last bio. Uh, he's a legend in my book, so I don't give a shit what anybody else says because it's my show. I've been trying to get in touch with Jack for months to have him back on. He hasn't been on since October of last year. Uh, so many of you guys have asked for him to come back on. He's currently the chief economist, co-founder, and director of the UCX Tech, as long as his bio is still up to date. And you may remember him from the PBS documentary Open Outcry, where at some point in the middle of the documentary, when they came back from commercials, he's the guy screaming across the floor on one of the Open Outcry pits, what the fuck is this guy looking at? The line that I will always remember Jack Perugin by. Jack, what's up, brother? How are you? I am doing great, man. Great to hear your voice. Great to be on the show again. It's awesome. You know what? I was actually, uh, John Nigerian called me uh, an hour or two ago. And we were talking about you. And I just said, oh, you know, I'm going to talk to Jack Perugin later. Do you know? Oh, I know. Everybody knows Jack. Everybody knows Jack. You know? Like, oh. <laughs> well, you know, John and his remember, John and his brother are also Armenian. And so am I. So we have that we have that uh, that that big Armenian bond going on there. There are only a few of us out there. So, you know, when you find another one, it's you know, you got you got a party, you know, it's a it's a celebration. But no, they, they uh, they've always been uh, very good. It, it, they're great traders, uh, you know. If you if you follow their record over the course of the years, uh, Peter is probably one of the the better traders I've ever met in my life. John, uh, Doctor J, as we called him forever on the floor, uh, was another one who was just uh, phenomenal. Uh, you know, he would, uh, uh, you know, he, he was he was he was a a great football player too. I don't know if a lot of people know that he actually played on the Bears for a while. Yeah, and uh, was uh, is one of these guys that when and and what I really like about him, and I'll, and I'll say this and then I'll stop, is that when he talks to me, he's about a foot taller than me. When he talks to me, he spreads his legs out and lowers himself so he's like <laughs> eye to eye with me. And I love that when a tall guy does that because it makes me feel so much better about myself. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's funny. You know, I was just, uh, I was doing, uh, I had sent him some questions for an interview that I'm going to be publishing on my blog probably, you know, next week or something. But I sent them to him like a month ago and I've been sending him these email reminders like, hey, you know, I'd like to get these back at some point. He never emailed them back. So he sent them back to me today and I was reading his answers and I was like, oh, you know, this is, uh, this is really good. And then I got this message, you know, like we need to talk on the phone. So I was thinking that he would want to like claw back something that he said. I think I was thinking he was going to call me and say, hey, you know, uh, somebody said I can't say this, that or the other. And I was thinking, man, you know, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to publish this stuff anyways. You know, that's just kind of how it works in the publishing business. But uh, but no, he just wanted to call and just bitch and moan for 15 minutes about how fucked up the world is. And so, <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I was driving because he got he got me on the phone. He's like, hey, buddy, you know, I hadn't talked to him in like a couple months. He's like, yeah, what the fuck do you think about this, that, and the other? And he just started going. I was like, holy shit, you know, Glenn, I'm going to have to start charging by the hour for therapy. John. Well, yeah, you know, it, it's funny you say that because it's people like the, the Nigerians and even myself that always considered ourselves fairly progressive in this world. Right. You know, we were, we were always fiscal conservatives. But when it came to our social views, uh, we're fairly liberal with those views. You know, you could, I mean, that's, that's always been very consistent, especially with the traders and the Wall Street crowd. Yeah. Um, you know, and and that's why he says what he is saying to you. You know, the the world is so strange right now, and it's just become so bizarre. I, you know, I mean, even the markets have become bizarre. Even the you know the, the comments that are coming out of our, our you know the, the secretary of the treasury and our and our chairman of the Fed are bizarre to that's me. What, that's exactly I, what he just brought up too. Yellen's comments. You guys just brought up the exact same thing. Well, because they are bizarre. I mean, you know, when, when people, you know, are, are talking about inflation and we're watching it. I mean, this is, you know, I unfortunately, I lived through the dark days of Jimmy Carter. I, I remember those days. I was in high school watching prices go up and watching my middle class immigrant parents, you know, suffering big time because it was a huge tax on, on the middle class at that time. And people don't understand that because, right. the, you know, the memories are short, especially with the, the millennials these days. But, you know, and, and that's really what they have to worry about. That's and, and if we continue to see people doing what they're doing, this MMT, modern monetary theory, all right? which has taken hold of people some, somehow, you know, people have come to the conclusion that, that the U.S. dollar is worthless. So they're going to continue to just keep printing up more, I think. I, I, I mean, I don't know where the mentality is. It's, it's, I think it's, it's the opposite. Odd. I think and they I guess, think that the dollar is can't be touched in terms of its value so they can print it, you know, ad infinitum and it's still going to retain its value. I mean, wasn't somebody was telling me that, you know, during the Weimar Republic that they were bragging about how much money they could print and not and not devalue it. You know, they were boasting about it. Well, on the other hand, you also had bonds that were flying at that time in Germany. Yeah. All right, so you had so you, you had what we would call the bond vigilantes, which right now can't do anything because you've got the Federal Reserve also manipulating the right. interest rate market. Right. So you know, until they get out of the way, all right, we're, we're you know, it, it's there's a day of reckoning coming. There's a day of reckoning coming, probably in equities. There's a day of reckoning coming, especially in bonds. And that day of reckoning is probably going to be when the Federal Reserve steps back and right. when they're out of the picture. And and the question is. At what point will the bond, what I call it, the, and people don't remember this. They're, they're, we used to have what they call the bond vigilantes out there. Whenever they would see inflation start to spike up, they would come in and they would hit the bond market hard. All right. And that is that is the way the real world works. When you start to devalue and debase currency, right. your bonds start to go, uh, you know, with a higher interest rate. They get lower in value. That's the, that's the way it should work. So the fact is that they're being manipulated the way they are, it makes it very difficult for us to gauge what the reality of the market, what real, let, let me ask, it's, it's, it's a hard way for us as investors to gauge what real value is. And that's really what you want to do. You want to find out if things are either overvalued or undervalued. And in the present condition, you can't do that. No, you can't. Do you think that the bond vigilantes have enough firepower to affect change uh, in terms of Fed policy, I mean, it's essentially what you're arguing. And actually, John was just talking about the same thing with me. As a matter of fact, he used the term bond vigilante. So that's how dialed in the two of you are on, this, on the same page. 
But, you know, essentially what you're saying is, look, people are going to come in and sell bonds uh, because they're assuming rates are going to move higher because they would have to move higher uh, in order for the Fed to kind of slow down inflation, which would be kind of the normal playbook. So you're saying the bond market would, you know, kind of move in advance uh, of the Fed uh, hiking rates essentially would be sending a signal too to the Fed and to the rest of the market that it's time to hike rates. Um, but when you have the Fed on the bid, you know, buying bonds, which, you know, when bonds are bid, rates go down. Uh, is is there any entity out there collectively or individually that has the firepower to affect change with the Fed? Now? No, no, no. Not until the Fed's out of the picture. You can't you can't do that. In fact, yeah, I, I can tell you right now that people are chomping at the bit to be able to do that because they know sure. that, that, that right now. But until we start to see the Fed and probably when we start to see them get to the point at the end of the taper, uh, and fortunately for us, they're talking about maybe, you know, speeding up the taper uh, and getting back to normal. You, you hear people like the, um, the Muhammad al-Aryans of the world basically saying, look, they're behind the curve. Uh, they should have started tapering last year at this time, you know, because of the, what we're seeing happening right now, especially, you know, on, on the short term inflation side. But, uh, you know, it, it feels to me as if there, there is a, probably a little bit more going on until the Fed is out there right now. You know, it, it's that what you just described was the complicated answer as to as to you know what will happen you know uh, with bond vigilantes what's what the the simple answer is right now you got the fed buying remember even though they're tapering they're still buying right all right they're, they're buying on a monthly basis as long as they're buying if you're a trader you know you're looking at that broker or, or, or whoever it is that's buying and you're saying okay i'm buying too until they're done buying all right when they're done buying you become a seller and then, and, at, and then when the gates open in the other direction and, you know, the horses are at the starting gate and all of a sudden you see you see the gate open in the other direction. And there's that very first indication that you can sell bonds without them being there. You think it's just off to the races? Uh, I think, you know what, immediately we'll see that type of reaction. And and that's going to cause the markets to react accordingly. And, and the, that's again, it'll be agita. It'll be agita for bonds. It'll be agita for stocks, for, for, for homeowners. It'll be agita for everybody. But then what's going to happen is the reality is going to set in. And what is reality? And that's something I, I think we should probably talk about. You know, reality is what's been happening over the course of the last 15 years. Technology has been a driving force. You know, one of the questions I get asked probably most, you know, than anything else is, you know, is this like 1970s inflation all over again? I, I keep getting that over and over again. And, and I keep trying to tell people that, you know, as somebody who lived through that era and, and somebody who's living through what we're going through now, I can tell you definitely these two eras are not the same. And I'll explain why. When I was a child, all right, and this is in the 70s, uh, one in seven people worked for the automobile industry. They were all unionized. Right. You had cost of living increases. Automobiles increased on a monthly basis. And that would go on year after year after year until we got into this inflationary spiral and people were wearing wind buttons with inflation now. Yep, folks, we wore wind buttons back then. I remember my parents having those, okay? All right? This day and age, though, if you remember correctly, what's been happening over the course of the last 15 years, and it's one of the reasons why if you look at a chart of a 10-year bond or a 30-year bond, you see this amazing downward slope. And people never realized it, all right? What we have been going through is this amazing disinflationary period. And what's happening is that de it's, it's technology that has been the driving force. And to take that to the next level, one in five people today work for either a technology or a technology-related company. Right. You know, anecdotally, I I'll give you a, a real quick story. I've got a friend who owns, and I won't tell you the fast food franchise, but he owns some fast food franchises, owns a half a dozen of them. And I said to him, oh, this, you know, minimum you know, wage thing has got to be killing your operating margins and blah, blah, blah. And he's heard to me and he said, are you kidding me? It's the greatest thing that ever happened. And I said, why? He said, he goes, it's forcing automation yeah. into our workplace. He goes, within another five years, I'll be running the entire franchise with two or three people. All right. And he goes, so I don't care what I pay them. It's worth it. And, and I started to laugh. So I'm thinking to myself, wait a second. You know what? This isn't funny. This is structural unemployment that's being created, right. you know, and, and, and that is really, I think, the fear. 
is that we end up with, you know, what I call that 1990s type of deflationary Japan, right, where we start to see banks start to have zombie loans, real estate to start to get cheaper. Uh, you know, everything starts to get lower in price. And, and that is probably the Fed's biggest concern. I would think that, that if the Fed is, is staying up at night having nightmares, it's not about inflation. It's about deflation creeping <laughs> back into the picture. Well, what does it look like to you when the Fed gets out of the way? I mean, you just talked about that when we were talking about when the bond vigilantes will be back in control. You're saying when the Fed gets out of the way. is that Does that mean to you that you honestly believe that they're going to be able to taper and then tighten? Well, I think that we're going to see them taper. And then the question is what's happening within the raw materials markets, all right, because that's very important. Here's something, being, being in commodities my entire life, I know this for a fact, all right? Not every surplus is followed by a shortage, but every shortage is followed by a surplus. Right. And, and that is what we're going to experience. I don't care whether we're talking about used car. If you're in the market for a used car, wait a year, all right? You know what? There's going to be a glut. You know what? You can feel it. You can feel it coming. You know, there's going to be probably more toys on the market selling at a, 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 you know, a fraction of the price in January and February than before Christmas. I mean, it's just it's only logical because you can see that happening. That, you know, my friends, is called disinflationary pressure. And that's the it's the type of thing that that hurts inventory levels, for example. People don't stock up on inventories now right. knowing that they can buy them cheaper in another six months. Right. And that seems to be hitting the market. No one's talking about that. You know, and people are all talking about earnings. Oh, well, you know, things, the market will stay up as long as earnings stay up. Well, earnings are up because inflation's up. When inflation goes right. down, earnings contract. And people forget that. You know, one of the things that I wrote about this morning, uh, I did a, a blog post called The Fed Has Lost Control or admits that the Fed admits that it has lost control about Powell's comments yesterday. And one of the things that I wrote about in the article was this fact that the idea of inflation is now being covered by both the right wing media and the left wing media, right? There's, there's two different takes on it, obviously, right? The left wing media thinks that, you know, inflation is our savior. Of course, they can't blame President Biden for it, though MSNBC is putting out these articles like, thank God for inflation, or, you know, uh, we have President Biden to thank for inflation, or, you know, and, and people on the right are obviously bringing it up for what it is, uh, which is a huge problem for the middle class, a huge problem for the lower class, um, you know, something that lowers the quality of life bar for everybody. But I wanted to get your take because you've been around a hell of a lot longer than I have. You know, so much of inflation is psychological, Jack. So when you think about things like pulling forward of demand or how the consumer reacts to inflation, do you think that the, the fact that it's out there kind of on the mainstream stage makes a difference with, you know, how the nation reacts in terms of our psychology? And do you think it's possible for us to really see, you know, panic in the country over inflation? I, I don't think we're at panic uh, now, but I, I don't think we see panic, but it, it but it is absolutely a factor. Look, I, you know what? I don't care which party we talk about. If we start to see inflation pick up, it becomes the enemy of the opposition party. And, right. and you know what? And, and, and so, so we start to see that happen. And but, so, but more importantly, remember, inflation is something that can't really be controlled unless, of course, we start to see governments start to believe that they can print up as much money as they possibly want, all right, and, and start to spend it frivolously. It's the old, right. you know, Milton Friedman analogy about who spends the most inefficiently, and that is people, you know, <laughs> other people spending other people's money, right, you know, right. and, and, and that's really what we've come down to. And then, and that's really, I think, you know, the, the, the key. So, so when we're talking about what might happen, so for example, you know, the Democrats talking about inflation, well, you know, they talk about it in terms of, of you know, people that own money, for example, you know, if they if they have school, right. debt, well, their school debt will be worth a lot right. less if, if you know what. Say, but I keep reminding people that, you know, because they'll bring that up and I'll say, but you're talking about debasing the currency. You're talking about, you know, doing what we did and, you know, and, and inflate our way out of what we did in World War II and, and, and out of the Depression. Well, guess what? That was, you know, survival 
at that point. Are you telling me that this is survival? Yeah. You know, we're talking about a stock market that is at all-time highs, that's trading at a ridiculous multiple. You know, I mean, I've got people that are buying NFT. I've got, I've got people that I jump into a car with that I don't even know that are an Uber driver asking me what kind of crypto I own. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's that type of thing that starts to worry me. And, and you know what? Because, <laughs> you know, it, it does not end well. It's a trap. It no, feels it like a trap. You know, it's, you know, we used to say, you know, back when I was on the, on the floor of the exchange and, and, and Dr. J I'd probably admit this too. We, we used to call it the big sucking noise. Can you hear it? Yeah. They're sucking everybody in. They're sucking everybody in. And then all of a sudden you'd look around the pit and everybody would be bid. Everybody yep. would be bid. There'd be no offers. And you think to yourself, uh-oh, uh-oh, we're all caught. <laughs> okay. You know, and, and you'd see the market just get hit. Right. And sure enough, you know, I mean, you, you could almost feel that happening collectively, yeah. whether it be in, in the crypto market, whether it be in equities, you know, bonds are a little bit more, you know, they're, I, I think, I, I hate to say it this way, but bond traders are, are smarter. All right. So, so what they do is they, they stand are. back. They, they're patient, they fold their hands, and they go, the Fed's in there. When the Fed's out, let me know. And when they're out, I'll do what I got to do. So, so they're, they're, you know, they're a little bit more sophisticated. They can play the yield curve game. They, they play it with the flattening and the, and the you know, widening. They play their convexity and their, you know, and their short-term games. But, uh, but you know, the, the equity trade, the guy that's on Robinhood right now, the guy that's got his Schwab account that all of a sudden has got it over a million dollars that thinks he was the greatest trader in the world. Well, guess what? I, you know what? We could have had... You know, my dog Mimi throw a ball at a, at, a, at a stock chart and pick a stock and he'd be up, you know, you know, 200 percent on that stock. Chances are, you know, I mean, we're talking about the late 90s again. We're talking about the, a market bubble. And people keep saying, well, what do you mean? You know, they look at the earnings. And I keep saying, yeah, we used to justify it that way, too. All right. Except for some of these ridiculous stocks that never made money, you know, in which case, you know, they lost 99 to 100 percent of their value. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I've written I was writing about uh, Kathy Wood on my blog last week. And one of the things that I, I don't know if you know who that is, but she writes, I do. OK, so she's, yep. you know, balls deep in all of these uh, uh, innovative, quote, uh, you know, stocks that, you know, are some of which, most of which are pre-profit, some of which I think are pre-revenue. Uh, but she owns a lot of dog shit is a nice way to say it. And one of the things that I wrote was that when you select stocks like that and they start going up, like you're talking about, right? Let the dog sit down and, you know, whatever, uh, whatever keys on the keyboard, the dog's nuts fall on the right way. You bid that stock up, right? When it types it into the computer, and you just pick whatever, uh, and those stocks start to go up, and you're somebody like her, you have to justify it, right? So the stocks go because of the euphoria, but then you have to come up with the bullshit excuse, right? Like, and that's what you're talking about. Well, you got to look at it on this basis, on an earnings basis, it's on this basis, or it's a price to sales basis, or, you know, it, the earnings don't matter anymore, or this time it's different. That's when you hear all that bullshit. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's always a way where things kind of revert back to the mean. Uh, yeah. And so, but, you know, look, it's it's almost as if, you know, active managers normally, Jack, have to make excuses for their stocks going down. But when you're buying dog shit and it's going up, you have to make excuses for why your stock is going up. You know, you have to come up with some stupid, you know, oh, value is dead. Growth is the only, some dumbass narrative. Because when you go on CNBC and that creates a flywheel of FOMO with other unsophisticated investors like you're talking about, which obviously, of course, leads us to a bubble, all of this that you know. I want to go back to crypto, which you just talked about, because I had a similar experience with my barber, uh, who, you know, trying to sell me crypto coins. Man, you got to buy Shiba Inu. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> Jack, I, I said to him, why? He's like, man, because you buy it. And then when it goes up, you sell it when someone else is buying it. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a lot like a Ponzi scheme. I said, you know, I didn't say that because I didn't want to get into the details of it. But I'm having these same experiences as you, right? The waiters, the waitresses, the Uber drivers. Everybody wants to talk about crypto. What do you think about crypto in general, Jack? Uh, here, I, I guess there's, a, there's two things to think about here. You know, the blockchain which is a technology which I think is here to stay. I think it's it's something that we can use in other ways and other fashions. In fact, I'm using it with one of my startups right now to, to basically take the commodity world and change the way commodities are traced, tracked, uh, recorded. Everything puts on a blockchain and, and, and all the way down to a matching engine. I like so, that. So, 
Yeah, we, we've taken we've taken the guesswork out of it, and a lot of that comes from being president of Commerce Bank. Uh, when I was, you know, we take delivery on sugar, and it'd be it'd be inferior. So I would have whoever's delivering it credit my my buyer. It was it was an, it, it was it, it, you know an art form. It wasn't a science. Whereas now technology exists. You know, we could track and trace from the beginning. We could go from mine to magnet. So I know something is actually forged here in North America. Uh, you know, so that now when we're talking about battery production, when we're talking about weapons production, we know it's not being sourced out to China. So these are things that, that are absolutely essential. Uh, now we've got the technology to do it. And that's kind of, again, that's one of my startups. It's called the, the Global Smart Commodity Group. I, I love it. it I, I'm in a few of these startups. Every now and then I get active with one of them. And this is that one I got I got active with, along with UCX, because I really love what they're doing. They're changing the game a little bit. Um, and, and so, but but what, I'm, what I see like is blockchain differently. Crypto is different. All right. Look, I own some Bitcoin. I made some money on it. I'm out of it now. All right. Reason I'm out of it is because I don't get it. I don't get it. It's run up so much now, so fast. I thought this would happen in maybe five to 10 years. It happened right away. And then I see all these other coins come out. The other coins don't make sense to me. Ethereum does, but when you start to talk about these smaller little individual coins, you know, the, you know, Dogecoin, for example, it makes absolutely no sense. See, part of me believes that the future will see payments go digital. Well, what, maybe a, what about a, maybe Bitcoin? It, maybe it'll be a digital dollar. I, you know, Bit, Bitcoin is I. You know, the problem I have with Bitcoin is the volatility, and and I'll and I'll say that to you. It did not act the way I thought it would. All right, gold hasn't acted the way I thought it would, for that matter, and I own gold too. But but crypto in it in itself, something is different about crypto. You you mentioned Ponzi scheme to me. I just feel as if there's this this the, the, the that 1999 euphoria around dot com stocks that was built up, where everything that came out, where everybody was a genius, where everybody would talk about what stocks they owned and their portfolio. I used to hear that time and time again, and I used to think to myself, Do you even know what you're buying? And they were like, No, but it's got dot com at the end of it. Well, what about right, what about Bitcoin makes sense to you that doesn't make sense about Dogecoin? Bitcoin has 21 million in total. Now, if you're going to ever look at crypto at all as a store of value, all right, understand that what you want is a finite amount. You want scarcity. Uh, you want some of the things that actually matter. All right. That create value. That's what creates value. Yeah. You know, so, you know, what I look for is is maybe one or two of those plays that makes a little bit of sense. And, and you know what? Look, they've been they've been good to us. You know, they've, they've made they've made the family some money here. All right. But the reality is that th this is a I don't understand this world. I really don't. All right. When I start to see, you know, the Shibu Inus come out of the out of the woodwork. When I when I have people that I don't that I know should not be involved. It's it's the same it's the same mentality of getting into a you know a, a small cap stock. You know what I mean? When somebody starts to tell me they're in the six letter stock, you know, or, or something ridiculous that that does something that makes no money and this is you know fifty million in debt and you know they're probably never going to get out of that. You know, if if you try to explain that to somebody, they don't get it. All they know is that. They bought it at two cents and now it's worth 12, uh, you know, and they're a genius and I'm, and I'm an idiot for telling them what I'm telling them, you know, and and that's really, you know, the, where I find myself in this world of crypto. There there's there's something there. There's something there. All right. I, you know, and, and that's the technology. Uh, there might be some value in the ether and in the in the you know, in the Bitcoin. But but the rest of it just doesn't make sense. Stable coins make a lot of sense to me. Stable coins, the digital dollar, these are things, instant payments. Don't tell me I've got to pay $50 for a, a Fed wire fee. Don't tell me it's going to take me three days to move money from here to England. It's, that, that's the type of thing that I want to get rid of, that, that, that should, we should probably see go by the wayside. That inefficiency, and, and you know who put those inefficiencies in, just so the world knows, are the banks. You know, I mean, look, you know, when I was at Commerce Bank, I was at that presidential level here in Chicago. I would go out to Frankfurt and report to them how much we made on interest with our customer money sitting in our bank. I mean, think of that for one second. All right. Now multiply that by, you know, the, you know what, uh, hundreds of divisions, thousands of, you know, of, of places uh, to do business. And, and then, of course, all of a sudden it really turns into some serious cash, uh, you know. But the banks love the inefficiencies. 
That's why they were the biggest skeptics of this whole world when it first came out, if you remember correctly. All right, it was Jamie Dimon who said it was absolutely worthless. All right, even Buffett came out and said that. Well, guess what? Buffett's biggest investment is in Wells Fargo. All right, Jamie Dimon is, uh, you know, J.P. Morgan. You know, so, I mean, so, if, so again, there is some value. That, there's something there. Let me ask there's you a question. There. Yeah, but what is that something is what I want to know. Because, you, you know, you were just saying the one thing that you didn't get about Bitcoin the way that you thought was going to happen was the fact that it was volatile. And so you got out. But then you said it's a store of value. And, and you know, to me, those two things are at odds. You can't be a store yeah, they, of value. They are. They you can't are. be a store they of value and move 20, 30% in a week. That's the opposite of a store of value because somebody's losing 30% of their value and the other, the counterparty is gaining 30% of the value. You're, you're, in a ab- week. you're absolutely right. So I want to know but, what's, what's there that gives Bitcoin value versus another coin versus a second coming iteration of, is it just that, that it's first? I mean, to me, it seems like it, it is reliant completely on psychological buy-in Bitcoin. Completely. You know what? I, I think one of the things that appeals to me, I think it's based on math. I, I like that. It's It's got some scarcity attached to it. So so that's another thing that I find fascinating. All right. Uh, and it's one of those things that, that has caught my imagination because of the of the digital transformation of what we're seeing happen with capital. And you know what? I'm, I knew one day we would see it happen. I wasn't quite sure which way it would take place. Now, as far as the volatility goes, that's the boom and bust cycle. You know, and and people have to understand that if you're going to be in any world that's starting to revolutionize and disrupt the world, expect serious volatility. You know, for everybody that's long Tesla stock right now, be careful. All right. Because guess what's going to happen? You're going to start to see things work their way back down, as you said, a reversion to the means. All right. It'll happen. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I've said that all along. I, I, you know, Tesla is one of those stocks where right now I won't touch with a ten-foot pole. If it doubles or triples from here, God bless, God bless anybody who's long it. Right? Once, but there's nothing in fundamentally that I see in there that I can buy. When I look at Bitcoin, I see 21 million coins, all right, and I see about uh, two or three million anecdotally that are lost forever. All right. And I see people looking at that as a real store of value for that reason. Now. Is it the same as gold to me? No, it's not acting the same as gold. It's acting, if anything, it's acting more like the stock market. It's it acting seems like a move. risk asset, right? It's acting like a risk asset. It doesn't seem to not, there's no non-correlation there. So I'm not one to say that this is something that doesn't correlate, you know, with stocks and bonds. So this is a, a perfect hedge again. No, this is, this is a risky world. This is a very risky asset to be in. And the, other, the one thing I don't like about it is that it's it's so narrowly held. You know, you've got about, you know, 10 people that probably control 50% of this yeah, market. Yeah, well, the problem is if Michael Saylor buys it all for MicroStrategy and he holds 19 million Bitcoin and the other 2 million are lost forever, this is just a theoretical. And it doesn't provide any real utility that something like a digital dollar won't be able to provide in the future. Then who the hell needs to bid for his 19 you know million Bitcoin that are left? Well, that, that's one of the reasons I got out at 50,000. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, you're making making this case that, you know, the scarcity somehow provides it with value. But that's a perfect example of how it how it doesn't. No, it it is for right now. Again, what I'm saying is what utility does it provide? it, it, It right now, I think the most important utility to me is the fact that we're watching the digital dollar being created because of it. Yeah, but that's- we're, we're watching digital currency being created because of the push that's happening from the crypto crowd. I agree the, with that. The, the inefficiency that's out there is something that needs to be eliminated. I don't care if it's a T plus two settlement for stocks and bonds. Right. I don't care if it's an overnight you know, a draft or a delay on, on, right. your, on your checking. All of those inefficiencies need to be eliminated. This is pushing the world towards more capital efficiencies. And that's the one thing that I really do like about it and I embrace about this world. I don't like the fragmentation. I don't like what's happened to it. I don't like the fact that you've got these ridiculous coins i don't like the fact that it's unregulated uh you know it won't be for long 
No, it, but that seems to bother me. It's one of the reasons why when I got in, I was in through the futures markets. I was using Bitcoin futures even before uh, the ETF started coming out because I turned to customers and we had a little fun there for a while where I got a, a customer involved and I said, this is the way to do it. You're in a regulated environment. You've got tax certainty. You don't have to worry about custody issues and you've got all the exposure to the market that you want. Here you go. And uh, sure enough, that's what we did. So for but, me, it was it was a perfect way to do it. So in a world of T plus two being... Uh, taken care of and all these inefficiencies, which I admit need to be dealt with, right? We're, we're going to mm -hmm. be able to transfer capital digitally uh, in the future, similar to the way that we do it with Bitcoin. And it's not going to take long because it has started this push. And I'll give you credit. You're 100% right there. And I think I'll give Bitcoin and crypto credit for really lighting a fire under the ass of the central banks to get on top of this shit. But the question just becomes, you know, once the digital dollar is in place, China's already messing with the digital yuan now. Once the digital dollar is in place, once those inefficiencies are removed, where does the demand from Bitcoin come from other than psychological buy-in that you are holding on to some sort of, you know, store of value? That, that's a good point. In fact, I, I agree with that point. It's one of the reasons why I brought up the digitization of the U.S. currency. That is the key. So as soon as I started reading those stories, by the way, just so, so the listeners are aware, is when I started to eliminate my position and start to, to get out of it for that reason. All right. Um, I love the technology. I love the blockchain technology, but I don't want any exposure to the crypto market. If I, if, if my biggest competitor is going to be the, the Federal Reserve. Right. All right. If they're going to if they're going to come out and they're going to create this thing, it's going to be their game. All right, they're going to take it over. I don't care what anybody says. You could say what you want about whatever crypto that you're in, but eventually what's going to happen, the U.S. dollar is going to be uh, the, the, the digital currency of the world, just like it is the, the fiat currency of the world. Right. Now, for those that don't that think that because of what's happening, and, and here's a whole different twist to what we're talking about. If you're convinced that what the the government is doing with the the printing of the money, and I don't want to get too political about this, but but the fact that Please they're out do. there. They, the, the fact that they're debasing the currency the way they are, the fact that we have got, you know, you know, more government control, the fact that I've got government telling me, you know, thank God my kids are golder, because if they if they were telling me how to, to raise my children right now, um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I'll even give you one more. My parents barely spoke English. If this had happened at a time where I was a child, I would learn nothing. Right. I would have no technology. I would learn nothing. And I got to tell you that there are children out there that are being left behind. When, when the book is written, all right, and I know that, you know, Jimmy Urio and I talked about this. When the book is written about this day and age of what we're going through, they're, they're going to they're gonna hit us hard about our reaction to the pandemic, about what we've done, to, especially to the children of, of the world here. Uh, but I'm, I'm just talking about our country. I agree alone, with you. I agree you know? with you. But, but let's let's go down that route for a second. If we start to see government decide that, that they're going to completely debase the currency. And, and what is debasing currency, folks? Let's keep this in mind. You know, I, and, and I, you know, I might have told this story before, but, you know, here, a real simple example is what happened to soybeans. In 1932, there were 40 cents a bushel. Very stable, all right, for years and years. All right. In 1952, there were $4.20 a bushel. Nothing changed about soybeans. Nothing changed about the protein count, the yield per acre. Everything was the same. But it took 10 times the amount of U.S. currency to buy that same bushel of soybeans. And that stuck around forever. It did not change. In fact, now we're talking about beans in the teens. But the reality is that what they did at that time, the government had decided that they were in charge and they were going to they were going to debase the currency and inflate our way out of a one depression two spending during a world war. Now, can I look back and criticize that? Probably not. I wasn't around. You know what? There was a, a big war ever. My father would have probably told me it was the greatest thing that ever happened at the time. You know, but, but I got to tell you something. Uh, you know, what we're looking at right now is a little different. I don't see a world war. Uh, you know, I, I don't see, you know, a stock market that's getting hit. I don't see a reason why, you know, um, we should have paid parental leave. OK, uh, you know, I, I mean, look, I, I, there are certain things that don't make sense to me. Uh, you know, and, and when I start to scratch my head, it's not only about what's happening fiscally, uh, but what's happening socially. You know, there are things out there that just don't make sense to me. And, and you know, now I, and I never thought at 60 I would ever say that. 
but you know what? I'm starting to feel like that, you know, that that angry old white man that doesn't understand what the hell is happening around him or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and and I'm, I'm even talking about TV commercials, you know, which, you know, sometimes and it's funny because I was talking about how some certain TV commercials have certain cast members that they've got. But they don't see those in certain parts of the South. We're seeing them here in urban areas. All right. Whether it be an insurance commercial, uh, a certain couples. Uh, you know, mixed couples, uh, you know, uh, same gender, whatever the case might be, uh, you know, but 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 we're, they, they, they don't see those down in Arkansas. Uh, you know, they're not seeing that same commercial in Texas, um, you know, and, and the reality is that they're, you know, they're, there's. There's something that's and, and it's and it's really in your face. Now, look, I, I, again, I, I don't want to say anything, you know, bad, because quite frankly, I'll get in trouble for that, you know, but uh, because my, my daughter will probably kill me for that. But but more importantly, uh, you know, the reality is that, you know, I find myself in a in a world that's starting to change. And I don't know if it's changing for the better or for the worse. It's changing. Crypto is part of that change. All right. I don't know where it's going. I, but I know it's changing the world, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm bringing that analogy back in because that's one of the reasons why I got into it in the first place. Well, what do you uh, think? What do you think about guys like Saylor and Alex Mashinsky recently, who's the CEO of Celsius out there saying in a debate with Peter Schiff that you should be borrowing against your fiat to buy crypto? Do you think that's responsible? That And, and essentially that, that what is, that means that, is like, you should be like, out leveraging, like telling, leveraging yeah, your that, assets to, to buy crypto. I think somebody like that should be shunned from the media. Yeah, anyone, anyone that would give that type of advice. Let me put it this way: even if they're right, 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 exactly. Even if they're right, exactly. Okay, they should not be saying that, nor should they be going out there and telling people to invest like that. Because, quite frankly, that is probably the most irresponsible. And you know what? That's probably going to be a reason for a lot of wealth destruction sure. over the course of the next couple of years. Sure, and, and we'll be uh, the counterparty to that wealth destruction too, because I've said the same thing as you, which is even if Bitcoin goes up, I can make peace with the fact that I'm not overweight in it because it's part of my risk strategy i would rather watch it go up and not be part of it and know that i you know kept to my risk strategy than over leverage taking a huge bet and you know made a shitload of money because by then you know then you don't even a lot of those people they don't even cash out you know then they just wind up becoming unrealized gains and then they ride it all the way back down unfortunately well that that that's exactly what happens with every bubble if you think about it, whether it's stocks, whether it's bonds, whether it's commodities, uh, I've seen people do that very thing. That is the action, by the way, the, the behavior, the psychological behavior of 90% of investors. They will hold something all the way up and they will hold it all the way down. And, you know, so all of this wealth, the wealth effect that people are feeling right now, you know, what, what I'll say to people is enjoy it. OK, look at that 401k. Look, at, enjoy it. All right. Don't look at it and think to yourself, hmm, am I going to annualize this thing at 30 percent a year? No, it's not going to happen. You're not going to have another year like you had like this in the stock market. It's not it should not happen. This is an aberration. And the reality is that, you know, people get used to making a lot of money in the markets. And remember, when you make market monies, when you're not in the markets, all right, it's, it's free money to you. It's playing with the house's money. I, I hate that term. I, you know, I've heard people. I had one guy tell me that this past week. Oh, you know, what? I'm up uh, thirty grand. It's the house's money. I go, no, it's not. I go, that's your money. Right. It's not the house's money. It's not. Once you've got it, it's your money. All right. So you know, and and you know, so when people tell me it's the house's money, remember, you know, once you've made it, it, it unless you take it off the table, it's not the house's money. It's your money. That's you know right. What I mean, you've got to, you know, so anyway, I, I, it, it's one of those things that that it's got me it's got me concerned. I'm watching the volatility, the market volatility these days, by the way, is also concerning to me. Uh, you know, I think that we're getting to that point now with the Fed thinking about pulling out the, with the recent statements that we just heard, uh, you know, that that people are going, oh, wait a second. You know, maybe the Fed isn't going to be there to bail me out next year uh, when and and the first ones to hit that sell button. And you and I know this are those smart professionals. You know, the, the oh, David yeah. Teppers of the world are the first ones to sell. Then they'll tell us two weeks later you know that they've sold some out uh, is what will happen but uh but you, I'm, I'm looking i'm looking for the leak do i want to see where it comes from do you think bitcoin do you think crypto has woven itself into the fabric of the financial system so much at this point and it is so intangible meaning that it doesn't exist anywhere but digitally and it really isn't backed by anything at all that it could 
be the catalyst for a systemic crisis at this point at a you know almost three trillion dollar market cap and if not a systemic you know banking crisis a crisis that catalyzes a massive deleveraging it's funny you say that i just had this conversation maybe about two hours ago uh and i said if there's ever going to be something that comes out of left field it's going to be something like bitcoin getting hit Right, where you've got the Paul Tudor Jones of the world, you've got all these other investors of the world that are now piled into this. Even if they've got 5%, 7%, they're not going to hold it to zero, folks. All right, These are not those types of traders. They will hold it. If they see a, a you know, 50, 60, 70% drawdown, they're out. They'll get out. All right. And what's going to happen is because of people that are leveraged into it, because of the fact that you've got the, you know, the, the Kathy Woods of the world that are telling everybody, you know, these are the stocks to be in. And they're all, you know, Bitcoin and crypto related. So we've got to be in, in all of them. And, you know, it, I mean, there's there is a a mantra right now that that I think is a false narrative. All right. And that is that, you know, all of these things are overvalued and they can stay overvalued forever. You know, and and it's not going to happen that way. As far as crypto goes, and as far as and as far as what we're seeing with you know with Bitcoin goes, I think yes. Do I think that that can be the catalyst for a larger move? Absolutely. And what you have to do is pay attention. Once you start to see investors, the larger investors pile out. You know. Jones is a great trader. I've I've watched this man's operation trading futures for the, you know 30 40 years now. You know he's a fantastic trader. You know the, the fact is that he's in this market but he's in in his toes. He's very very skeptical about it. All right? It's you know I mean he's talking about having some exposure but it's not as if he's going to be there forever. Well, and Jack you're saying if something like this comes out of left field that's how you started your answer. If something like that if something's going to come out of left field it's going to be bitcoin breaking out. Why does it have to be left field when we're talking about a digital asset that doesn't tangibly exist and isn't backed by anything but for the fact that it's quote unquote scarce? Right. I mean, we're talking about lines of computer code. Yes, I understand how blockchain has value. I get it. It can have value across many industries. But what you know, where have we gotten to our point in completely delusional euphoria that it has to be left field for something like Bitcoin or crypto, which is a three trillion dollar market cap asset class, if you want to call it that, unregulated based on nothing but digital lines of code that could, you know, why would that surprise people if that dropped 80% out of nowhere? Why would it surprise people if there was if there was fraud in the stable coins, if there's fraud underpinning that market? Why would that surprise people? Because they're not having these same conversations, all right, is really what it's all about. They're looking at an asset, or if you call it an asset, you know, and they're watching it go up. And they're watching this volatility and they're listening to people. But they don't understand that, you know, if behind it, you've, you've got 10 major players. Two of them are here in Chicago. All right. You know, they, they're, and they're, you know, I, you know they're, they're trading around these things. They're, they're making a lot of money in them. Now, you know, when I say out of left field, people aren't expecting Bitcoin to go down to 10,000. Right. They're not. Okay, I, you know, when you talk to them, if you if you were to ask ten people on the street whether they thought that Bitcoin would be you know going down to ten thousand within the next uh, <laughs> six months, they'd probably say no. All right, but if that happens, and I'll say, and I'll and I will create a scenario for you. Let's say it does. Right. All right. Let's say we see you know this amazing you know ninety percent, eighty percent drawdown on Bitcoin, where it's down to twelve thousand dollars or whatever the case. Um, what's going to happen is you're going to see a lot of deleveraging, a lot of margin calls. It'll be right. a global margin call. Right. All right. Which is which is going to be a a mass liquidation, and it's going to be across the board. It'll be equities. It'll be bonds. And yes. So do I think it's going to be systematic? Absolutely. It's something that. Uh, you know, it, it, there's there's a certain amount of risk, and it's one of the reasons why you know the regulators need to be involved in this market because there is absolute system systematic risk in in these currency markets, in these crypto markets. Yeah, I agree with you. We need to get you on fucking TV more often. You know what I mean? I got you know there'll probably be forty thousand people that listen to this podcast. We need to get well. Now that I think about it, I don't even know if CNBC is pulling in forty thousand. So maybe it's just good. Uh, that, uh, maybe uh, it's just good that you're here with me. <laughs> my, 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 my contract ends with CNBC soon, I think. And uh, and the reality is that I think I'm uh, I'm I'm too middle aged, and uh, you know what? Uh, they're looking for a little diversity, and I don't think I'm going to fit that mold. You'll have to let me know the day that that ends, and I'll have you back on and ask you a bunch of <laughs> questions once you're no longer bound by an employment contract. You know, but I think it's much better to just have Jack Barugian. Not that you're not a good 
good-looking guy without the visual, just talking like you're talking, you know, for an hour here, whatever, than to have Jack Burgeon on mute at an airport bar somewhere. You know what I mean? Given the two choices, I think you belong here, and I think there's a lot of other people, the Kathy Woods of the world, the Ross Gerbers, they belong on mute in the airport bar. Let me ask you a question I asked um, John Najarian. Actually, I have two more questions for you. You mentioned sure. go- you mentioned gold before. I mean, look, you're an old school guy. You're a former floor trader. You're obviously fucking super sharp. We talked about Bitcoin. Talk to me about gold. You know, do you think gold could not only be an inflation hedge going forward, but a hedge against volatility? What do you think of the action in gold's price? Do you think it would would have been higher or lower at this point? Um, and where do you think it's going to head next year? I'm glad you asked. Uh, Gold is actually sending us a message is what I'm worried about. The fact that we are not seeing the type of action in gold that we would all expect leads me to believe that what I was talking about just a little while ago about this deflationary scenario might be might be intact. Uh, It might be a truism coming to play. And that's one of the reasons why we're not seeing the action in gold. I would expect gold right now to be at 25, if not 3,000. Yeah, but don't you think don't you think some of that is because a lot of the money that would have poured into gold as an inflation hedge is, you know, part of that three trillion dollar crypto party that's going on? No, I don't. You don't think a lot of that money would, would you don't think there will be a rotation trade out of crypto into gold at some point? I no, I don't. I think when you see when you see crypto go down, it'll be a liquidation trade. It will not be a rotation trade. Uh, you know, they're, they're, these are different traders. These are completely different people. All right. No, you they have all they, these dildos out there saying Bitcoin is digital gold. I mean, well, you know what? what but, but remember, there it's still to them. It's still digital. You know, they don't. Right. Say, they can't. Don't don't tell them about a hard asset. You know, they don't want to hear about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But but what's happening in gold, you know, leads me to believe is, is a is, it's a strong statement. The fact that we're not seeing that act the way we would all think it would in this environment, you know, number one leads me to believe that that crypto is in its own world, and that's the where that's where that bubble mentality comes in, and one of the reasons why I'm no longer in those positions. Right. And and you know the but but more importantly, what's happening in gold is telling us that pay attention to commodities. All right. If we start to see, the, you know, everyone's expecting this super cycle. Everyone's talking about how we're going to see, you know, commodities go higher. Well, you know, aside from energy, all right, which, you know, if, if they did the right things policy wise, you know, I mean, you know, we could be energy independent here. We were through Obama and through and through Trump. You know what I mean? We've got the means to be energy independent here in North America if they would just, you know, let, let us really stop shutting down pipeline yeah, projects. It's exactly. not that difficult. The president with one, you know, with his left hand is shutting down pipeline projects. And with the right hand, he's uh, signing a a press release saying we got to investigate energy prices it's like dickhead. it's amazing it's, it's just unbelievable. Amazing. it's amazing you know and, and the blame or the better yet they're asking opec you know what yeah, i mean and yeah, myself, yeah. You know what? <laughs> opec actually buys their stuff from us right. in some cases you know when it's refined but anyway it's just it's ridiculous to me but all you know all of that is but but certain things are happening so pay attention to commodity prices uh if we start to see commodity prices start to get soft and you're you've got backwardation in the markets right. and for those that don't understand that that means prices are cheaper a year out from now than they are on the spot market today it, and that's telling you that commodity prices and commodity traders think the same way right. if we start to see that creep back in uh, then it, it could be a whole different world for us it could be a very it, it, unfortunately that's what we have to watch for yeah yeah, good, uh, very good analysis there on the backwardation thing, which is something I haven't mentioned or looked at. So I appreciate you bringing that up, and uh, and you know that's that's a good little piece of education for my listeners. I want to ask you something. I asked John um, of late. You know, you mentioned Tesla before. You said, "Hey, look, maybe going forward, you're going to see some volatility." I happen to think Tesla. And this is just my speculation without much evidence other than using the old fucking coconut here on my neck. And, you know, I've been watching tape for a long time. I happen to think Tesla is purposely being manipulated uh, with large, at least at one point, you know, maybe retail now. But at one point, beginning December 2019, was being manipulated purposely using large out of the money uh, call option buys. Uh, to help guide the equity higher. Um, And, you know, I kind of watched that as it was happening, 
heading into the beginning of 2020. I made mention of it. This is, you know, pre-split when Tesla was, you know, still 200 or 300. Uh, as we know, pre-split now it's 5,000 or 6,000. So we've seen a 10 or 12x move higher in 24 months in Tesla, which is ridiculous for a company whose CEO has been accused of fraud and, you know, has difficulty consistently generating free cash without selling Zev credits and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's in a capital intensive business. We can go on and on. But what I want to ask is, do you think that there has been a trend of weaponizing options here over the last two years? Notably, SoftBank, Goldman Sachs have come out and said that, you know, that they're, uh, you know, they were the kind of the whale traders squeezing Tesla higher at one point, squeezing the Nasdaq higher at one point. We had this insane move off March 2020 lows where the Nasdaq has essentially doubled since then, Jack, which is really, you know, I think SoftBank came out and said something, too, that they were buying options. You think people are weaponizing options now? I, I think it's just more a product of free money. Uh, you know what? If it doesn't cost you anything to put these positions on, especially if you're an institution, then why not? Yeah. You know, and and you know what? Look, it's 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 become you know it's it's a game. It always has been. You know, options are there. You've got it's a two-sided market. So look, you know, uh, here I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, somebody once asked me who are the biggest sellers of Microsoft options and I, or Microsoft puts, and I would say Microsoft. I said, you know, they've got they've got a stock buyback program, right. and, and if you and if you dig down, they'll show a <laughs> derivatives gain. You know, so they're the they're the largest sellers of Microsoft puts. It's as simple as that. So I mean, you know, people have always been out there doing these things. The the real question, and going back to a stock like Tesla, is you know value. You know, how do you value something like that? You know, I mean, when I look at Ford or GM and I'm looking at what they're doing on the electric, you know, on the EV side, it makes sense to me. You know, there's valuations there that I can look at, that I can play with, that I can understand. You know, but Tesla is uh, the Bitcoin of car makers to me. You know what I mean? It's the, the you know, it, it doesn't make sense at times. So when it's flying like that, you know, you feel like saying, well, good, God bless if you're long it. But, you know, guess what? That could be a two-sided market too, very quickly. Right. Um, you know, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm more... I'm I'm more concerned about the the lack of well, there is a you know there might be a bit of a lack of transparency, but here you just mentioned something that a lot of people don't understand. You were looking at big blocks trading of options, all right? You know that is indicative of institutional play. People right. don't understand that, right? right? You know the, the Nigerians understand that. You know if you if you listen to John and Pete, they'll talk about it all day long. That's one of the reasons they've got you know their programs are set up for that stuff. But but you know for me that's the way to look at a stock, and and you can see that. Now having said that to you, pay attention. You can see the other side of that that coin real quick. Uh, you know, and it won't take long. You know, remember all it takes is. is is something like I said that comes out of left field, or, or as Nassim Taleb would say, that black swan. Right. You know what I mean? That that comes out, and then you have your three or four standard deviation move to the downside, and that's what you worry about. Yeah, I think that guy mailed me a book. I gotta find uh, out what it is. He's got some. He's got some great books. Uh, you know what? Uh, Fooled by randomness. You know, he went broke on the floor as a trader. Uh, and then ended up making billions of dollars when he left the floor. But uh, but he was one of these guys who thought he was as smart as anybody, came down to the floor, but couldn't compete with guys that had high school educations. Yeah, uh, yeah, common sense, right? It's, I'm telling you, it's uh, it's fascinating. But uh, he's he is a he's a philosopher. He's he's brilliant. He's one of the he's probably one of the smartest men I've ever met in my life. Yet another example that you can overthink things, right? And when we go back to talking about politics, and we go back to COVID, and you go back to talking about you know you wouldn't want your children schooled nowadays. You know, so sometimes we need less intellectual firepower, and we need to just kind of rest on simplicity you know not everything needs to be deconstructed and rethought out 15 million iterations in 22,000 directions you know sometimes two plus two just fucking equals four you know and it doesn't have anything yeah. to do with white supremacy it doesn't have anything to do with you know gender it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not men can get pregnant which of course they can't it doesn't have anything to do with you know but you know with 0 0.5 plus 0 0.5 plus 0 0.5 plus 0 0.5 times 4 equaling 8 you know sometimes just 2 plus 2 is 4 4 plus 4 is 8 sometimes shit just needs to be simplified you know, and that's yeah. why these traders, you know, the guys with the double digit IQs who have a high school education that, you know, are out there just fucking bumping shoulders with each other. 
just following, hey, man, you start hearing people buy them, Jack, you buy them. You start hearing people sell them, you sell them. That's why guys like that can make money. Because they would exactly hang their right. fucking balls out there and they weren't scared of shit. And that was it, you know? And, and we need some of that in this country, you know? We nah, need- you're, you're, you're absolutely right. right. Well, first of all, you know, when we're talking about white supremacy, I used to think, you know, what the Turks did to the Armenians was white supremacy. I, at least, I, you know, I learned I, more than that. So, you know, my, my grandmother being a slave, I guess, didn't really matter. But, you know, the, uh, the, the reality is that what we're looking at right now happening in the markets, what's happening around us is really changing the game. And, you know, and, and it is for me, uh, you know, a, a learning experience. So I think what we need to do is to to pay attention to, to you know, the world around us and, and adapt with it. That's the only way a trader yeah. stays alive. Uh, you know what I mean? Look, and, and, you know, why was I in Bitcoin? Because it was going up. Yep. I, you know, there was no other reason. I, I, and I, you, you're asking me, well, what is it? I don't know. And you I made mean, money. Yeah, I made money. It could go to a million. It could go to zero. I don't know. You know, so but uh, but you're right. I think it's it's really simplifying it. And, and I'll leave you with this one story. Uh, you know, I, I sat on the board of the of the CME group for, for years and years, and I became friends with a Nobel laureate named Merton Miller. And and Merton one day turned to me. I'll never forget this in 99. And he said, Jack, my boy, I don't understand this Internet thing. Now, here's the Nobel laureate saying this thing to me. He goes, aside from information, I can't understand what else it's good for. Then he stopped a second and he turned to me and goes, then again, what do I know? When they created the steam engine, they created it to pump water out of coal mines. And you know what? It was one of those those quotes of brilliance. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, he's so damn right. And and you know what? And he was right. Because I, I remember telling him, I said, one day, I said, Merton, one day we'll be, we'll be trading the markets on our telephones. And he turned to me and he goes, he, you're, you're nuts. Right? <laughs> and, and sure enough, here we are, what, 22 years later doing that very thing. Awesome, Jack. And that kind of modesty too. I mean, you need that, right? Because while you were making money on Bitcoin, I was sitting around doing exactly what I'm railing against, right? Which is, well, I don't think it was backed by anything, and I don't think it was this, and I don't think it was that. You know, it's some 19-year-old with fucking acne and a wedgies driving by in a Lamborghini stealing my girlfriend. You know, so I was like, yeah, I got I to gotta pay the cost for overanalyzing myself. I, you know, I got to practice what I preach a little bit. Listen, you are a fucking national treasure, man. I am so happy that you came back on. And can we not make it a year before you come back on again? Absolutely. You know what? Just let me know when you want me on again. All right, Jack. Thank you so much, brother. Talk to you soon. My pleasure. All right. That was the one, the only Mr. Jack Perugin, legendary floor trader, as I create a bunch of background noise by fooling around with these wires here that are cheap and make a lot of noise. Uh, The guy's wonderful, man. Great guy to have on. And uh, one of my favorites, easiest guy to talk to uh, in the world. I'd love to have a drink with him one of these days. I'm going to have to line that up. Uh, Jack is in that documentary I mentioned at the beginning. I put the link to that uh, from him in the PBS Open Outcry documentary in the podcast description. So if you click on it, it goes right to the clip of Jack Perugin on the floor uh, screaming at somebody like 30 years ago. I highly recommend you watch it, and I highly recommend you watch the full documentary. I put that link in the podcast description, too. Thank you again to the people that have checked out my blog, Fringe Finance. The link to that is in my podcast description. I write on that almost every day. But for right now, it is finally time for me to STFU and go have a PBR. I am out. Peace.